is Monday, September 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. Good to see you. Hey, I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. You know, start of the week. <laughs> I, 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 know the right foot. I know it's not a great start to the week for yeah, investors because well, the market's down 2% across the board. We'll get to that in a second. Um, we're also going to dig into the business of advertising and discuss one of the best problems an investor can have. Um, let's let's hit the market real quick uh, you know this is this is not a great day and to be fair september not a great month so far for investors <laughs> well it's good it's a good it's one of those things where i look at what's happening i go it's a good thing we're long-term investors because if we were like short term, uh, this would kind of suck. Well, you're right. You're right. And so there, I would argue that hey, maybe today is a great day because when you take that longer term perspective, you know, when you play the long game, you, I, I think that it just it, it helps you look at days like this and frame them up as potential opportunities. I mean, I'm not saying that this is just, okay. The market right now, as we tape, it's it's 2 p.m. And the market's down, Dow's down something like uh, 800 points, right? I mean, it's obviously something that's gaining a little bit of steam here. Uh, S&P down, yeah, 2.1%. 2, 2. You got to look at these as just the cost of, 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 of participating in, in this massive wealth creation machine that is the market, right? And, and, and it just is, it's, it's another example of obviously why we, why we play the long game. And, and honestly, like, I, I think about these kinds of days, and you're right. September it's been a tough month so far this year. September historically, I think, is is generally not that great of a month for uh, investors. But it it does it does make you. I don't know about you, but I feel very uh, thankful that I don't have to try to find every day a story as to why the market may be doing what it's doing. I mean, if you remember at the beginning of the morning, it was something in regard to a Chinese property fund or something like that. And, and I mean, I read the story and I thought, huh, well, I mean, they found something that perhaps could be concerning some people. And I mean, it's not to say there's 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 nothing to it. I mean, maybe there is something to it. But but generally speaking, I mean, this is the psychology of the market. And uh, sometimes these, these sell-offs gain steam. Um, you could argue that the market has been very richly valued. I mean, we are living in a time right now where 30 times sales is the new normal, which just doesn't feel right to a lot of us. Um, granted, those multiples are being assigned to some very, uh, very special companies that are doing a lot of great things, particularly at, at this point in time, um, as, as we see so many companies making this pivot uh, to digital. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, you know that you've been around for a little while when you look at days like these, and you can either just completely brush it off, or you can actually view it and say, you know what, I wonder what I wonder what out there is, is maybe worth uh, considering buying today. And and, that, and that's that's I, I would encourage everybody to try to take that perspective because when you play the long game, uh, you're able to do that. One more reason to have a watch list. Uh, yeah, the yeah absolutely. The seventy third Primetime Emmy Awards uh, on Sunday night. Speaking of digital, showed once again how dominant streaming services are. On Sunday night, Netflix took home ten awards. HBO and HBO Max took home nine. Apple Plus won four Emmys for Ted Lasso. And when you broaden it to include the Creative Arts Emmy Awards, here's how the totals break down: Netflix forty-four, HBO, HBO Max nineteen, Disney Plus fourteen. Apple plus 10. 
you'll notice none of those are traditional broadcast networks. And it, I mean, it just seems like when it comes to creating award-winning programming, broadcast television is on the outside looking in. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know that that is, uh, I don't know that that's really poised to change. I mean, much like advertisers go where the eyeballs are, these awards go where the content is. And it's just the evolution of the space. I mean, if you are not offering a streaming service or if you are not a streaming native service, uh, yeah, like you said, you're on the outside looking in. Uh, Netflix has been at it for a long time now. Of, of course, HBO has as well. Um, really neat to see all of the original content that's coming from those platforms, whether it's Netflix or HBO, Disney Plus has got some great stuff. I tell you, Hulu and that acquisition of Fox, I think bringing FX into their universe uh, is tremendous. Hulu has just such a, a wide variety of great original content as well. Um, and Apple Plus, I mean, that's great to see those investments paying off for them. Um, I, I think for Apple, I mean, it's more of a retention game, at least right now. It's it's certainly not something that's meant to drive uh, the top line there. If you put it into context, uh, Netflix uh, over the last 12 months brought in $27.5 billion in revenue. That's a lot. But when you put it in the context of what Apple's making, Apple over the same time period, uh, around $350 billion. So even if they had just the most successful of all successful launches, they're not going to really get anywhere close to what Netflix is doing. If, if, if for a long time, if ever, right? Again, I don't know that this is something that's necessarily meant for Apple to to drive the top line. Um, over time, it can certainly become more meaningful. Uh, but but given Apple's Apple's presence in the hardware space, this is really about keeping people in the universe, and it makes a lot of sense when you're big like that, and you can afford to make those investments. And I, I could imagine from a creator's perspective, uh, you're coming into a platform where they really want to uh, they want to catch a lot of attention, get some new viewers. That's going to maybe make them a little bit more open minded to to bringing original content out there that uh, pushes the envelope, so to speak. And uh, yeah, again, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, these, these awards go where the content is and it, all of the content is on these services. So it makes perfect sense. And to anyone who's listening and thinking, or maybe even saying out loud, well, why are you talking about awards? Who cares? These are, <laughs> these are, these are voted on. What does this matter? I will simply point out that there are more scripted television shows right now than at any point in history. Wow. And one way you cut through the clutter, one way you get attention for your show and therefore for your subscription service is through award-winning content. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's subjective to a degree, but you're right. I mean, once you can put that label on it, I mean, people are going to discover it more quickly. And I think if that's, that's the one big challenge for viewers today, I mean, I know I feel it anytime I log on to my uh, TV or, or, you know, turn on my phone, it's it, finding something is becoming more and more challenging because there is so much stuff out there. So you go by basically two things. You go by word of mouth, what your friends are watching, and you go by awards and what, what people are really, what, what's gaining all the buzz. And, and oftentimes the two are, two are one and the same. Uh, but, but generally speaking, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. We've talked over the past couple of years about how Amazon has increased their market share in the digital ad space. They are obviously still far behind Google and Facebook, but Amazon is solidly in third place when it comes to the amount of money they're taking in for digital advertising. And I think we're all used to seeing a couple of ads at the top of search results. But 
now comes a report that Amazon is putting as many as six sponsored products ahead of organic search results. Mm-hmm. So maybe not surprising when we see their ad revenue climbing quarter over quarter, year after year. Um, what did you think when you first saw this story? Because there, there are, I think, a couple of key parts to it, but I'm curious what stands out to you. So first and foremost, it just made me feel really good to to know that I've remained patient and held on to my Amazon Amazon shares for so long. <laughs> so very happy shareholder here. Thanks a lot, folks over there at Amazon. Uh, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Um, a, a few things. I mean, this is this is certainly Amazon flexing its muscle here, right? I mean, whether physical or virtual, when space becomes limited, that creates demand, and it's been this sort of dilemma, or at least this this. Question as to how different different organizations, different uh, firms would approach the problem when you have mobile uh, being this this primary uh, method, this primary way of of getting stuff when we're using our phones. That space becomes far more limited, and that that simply creates demand. And so. Uh, and the nature of Amazon's business is such that, and, and we, we've talked about this before, you know, I mean, people are going straight to Amazon and they, they know they need something. They're just not sure specifically what. So they maybe say, well, I need batteries, but I'm not sure. So they search batteries. Well, immediately then those search results come up. Um, I, I think it only makes sense to try to uh, exploit this and, and maximize the potential there. Because when you look at the opportunity overall, it's just phenomenal. I mean, total digital ad spend is slated to hit $455 billion this year, according to eMarketer. Um, and, and the majority of that goes to display. Uh, the other the other half of that essentially goes towards search. But generally speaking, I mean, when you look at what Amazon is doing today with its advertising, I mean, $8 billion in, in that other category. I mean, I know that other category is other stuff, but really mostly is advertising. And so you annualize that out just for simplicity's sake, and you got a, a $32 billion plus uh, advertising business, right? And so for investors, I mean, anytime you can see a business where they can they can use their scale to essentially produce a whole new business, I mean that's just that's just you got you got you got to own those businesses right. And so with Amazon, it's not just retail. I mean, and it's not just cloud, right? I mean, it's advertising as well. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff, and it's entertainment, it's content. Uh, so I think for me, I mean that that to me just reiterates the power of of, of Amazon scale. It it, it represents their uh, ability to recognize a large market opportunity and a way for them to then participate in it. Uh, and and it's, it's clearly paying off. One of the things this reminded me of was uh, Brad Stone's uh, book that came out earlier this year, Amazon Unbound. Um, and when I talked with him for Motley Fool Money, one of the things we talked about was Jeff Bezos, I think it was, five, I think it was 2016, Jeff Bezos approving the move to say, okay, we're going to put these ads on top of the organic search results. And how that sort of, with that move, that cuts a, you know, against the thing that Bezos had said for years, which is, you know, we're, we're, we're obsessed with our customers. We, you know, we, we wake up, I wake up in fear of our customers. And it's like, okay, you're obsessed with your customers, but clearly there's a price at which you're willing to be a little less obsessed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe so. I guess it just depends on how you view that from a customer's perspective. I mean, as someone who uses Amazon a decent bit, um, 
I, I like being able to search and find something in, in, and having those recommendations coming up to the very top. Uh, it, it does it does make it a little bit easier. And something like, for example, I went in there earlier today just just to just to sort of just test it out. And I searched batteries. Um, the interesting thing I think is because you get your you get your normal battery players, Duracell and, and uh, Energizer and whatnot. But the neat thing about Amazon's business, they can create sort of a sense of false scarcity when they want to with certain product lines. Take batteries, for example, because Amazon Basics now, right? I mean, they have Amazon Basics, and they basically can place that wherever they want in the search results because it's Amazon's. And so Amazon Basics shows up there in like the top three. And that's just by virtue of them putting it there. But it can create a little bit of a sense of false scarcity with the other advertisers who want to compete. And I'm like, listen, batteries are batteries for the most part. Amazon Basics, are, we get them. They work well. Your Energizers and Duracells of the world are still going to want to compete with that. So they're going to pay up a little bit for, for that placement. And they can afford to do so. Uh, nothing wrong with that. And, and it's actually resulting in... What is turning out to be a robust little, a little business here for Amazon? Do you remember how we talked about with Google for so long when Google was making the shift from desktop to mobile? And we would see that the cost per click kept on coming down because the value of the click on mobile just wasn't worth as much as it was on desktop at the time. Well, Amazon's witnessing this unique uh, scenario here where the cost of uh, the cost per click is actually going up. The cost of the cost per click for Amazon search advertising was a dollar twenty-seven in August, which was up from eighty-six cents a year ago. And so that cost per click—that's what their customers, that's what their, that's what the the brands when they pay for that placement. I mean, when you see that that go up, that means Amazon is is realizing more on that advertising. And and I think it just goes to show number one the value of their platform. It's so big, it reaches so many people. Um, and, and it just also goes to show you that that Amazon, the investments they've made into this business, while sometimes it may not make so much sense immediately, sometimes a little bit further down the road, it starts to make more and more sense. Uh, you know, people could sit there and question Amazon basics all they want, but the fact of the matter is they can place those things wherever they want. They're priced right, and uh, it's it's convenient and easy. And so having having the ability to 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 participate in that well i think that's pretty pretty neat they got to be careful though because I, I just think back to jim senegal when he was running costco and senegal i you know i asked him about the kirkland brand yeah and basic and how successful that was and 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 continues to be and i asked him like hey does this you know how, how big can this get and he basically said no no, no it, can't, it can't get too big we can't allow kirkland to become so dominant i think it's you know, I, I want to say it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15% of sales or, or something like that. Don't don't yeah. quote me on the exact number. But but the the more important point was Senegal saying, no no no, this is good for us, and this is more profitable for us because it's it's a Costco product with the Kirkland brand. But we know there is a point at which if we push this too much, uh, it's going to backfire on us. I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I'm glad you brought that up because we're at a point now. Ten years ago, this this dynamic didn't necessarily exist so much. But now, I mean, so much of Amazon's revenue on that retail operation comes from those third-party providers, right? So they cannot afford to 
pardon the expression, piss those providers off. I mean, they are responsible for a lot of the stuff gets, that gets sold on Amazon's platform, but it's not just what they sell. I mean, Amazon's providing the services and the logistics for all of these third-party providers as well. So, it is a very delicate balance. And, and now, versus a decade ago, those third-party providers, they have more options. There are more avenues. Shopify wasn't really a thing like it is now. But all of a sudden, there are more options now as a retailer than, than there were 10 years ago. So, it's a very good point. It, it's something they can capitalize on, but it is a very delicate balance. They have to handle it very diplomatically, for sure. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got a note from Brad in St. Louis. My question is about handling big gains. Thanks in part to your discussion of Teladoc Health, I was in early with recent pullbacks of that and other high flyers. What are your thoughts on playing with house money? For example, on a three-bagger, I would sell my initial stake for new or different ideas and then let the rest run. Great question. Thank you for that, Brad. Uh, this is, you know, this is something I know people who this is their way to invest. Yeah, uh, where they say if I, if I get something and I double my money, I'm gonna take half of it and I'm gonna go look for other investment ideas. And then there are other people who are uh, much more in the David Gardner school of thinking, which is let your winners run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely. I've used I've used house money myself. I mean, before it's not something I employ regularly, um, but certainly. Some some situations make it a bit more attractive than others. Uh, I think if you're earlier in your investing life, if you're just getting started, and one of your goals is to build a diversified portfolio, that's one way that you can do it, right? I mean, if you've witnessed some really some really fast gains, some nice wins in a short period of time, and and, and you're lacking the diversification in your portfolio that you really want. Using that house money concept is a nice way to be able to consider doing that. You know, you essentially just recoup your initial investment, and then you uh, are able to diversify along. Now, the caveat there it really is all about that next idea. It's about are you allocating that money to an as good, if not better, idea? And that's it's difficult to tell in the near term, no question. I mean, that's part of our job every day is analyzing the, these businesses to to try to figure out which ones are the are the ones we want to invest in um, versus not. And in and, and obviously we don't get them right all the time. So it is it is it is a little bit uh, hindsight's more twenty twenty. But I do like the concept because I think it gives you the opportunity. Particularly if you're younger, and particularly if you're having a little bit more, uh, if you're having a tougher time raising money. I mean, a lot of people run into a situation where they just don't have the money to invest. Um, using that house money strategy is a way to 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 be able to broaden your reach, diversify that portfolio. Um, it, it really just does boil down to making sure that you understand it's all about that next ideas. You want to just make sure you're allocating that money into other good ideas. Because if you're sending it into future losers, then you start kicking yourself, particularly if you invest in a loser and then you know the shares that you sold, that thing just keeps on winning. Um, it, is, it is difficult. You know, some people, I think just a lot of people feel like investing, you can always be doing something. And, and oftentimes, the best action is inaction. Uh, but in certain cases, if, if the valuation makes you feel uncomfortable, if you're over-allocated to a particular stock, if you're looking to diversify but you're having trouble raising funds, that house money concept can be a nice solution. 
Yeah, that last point I think is an important one because there are there are some people where it's like, no, this is this is my strategy that I have decided on that works for me yeah. in terms of funding additional investments. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it really does work. I mean, like I'll say, I mean, I did that with Amazon, for example, uh, years back. I mean, I sold uh, whatever I needed to sell basically to recoup my initial investment in Amazon. And then I said, you know what? I get to keep the rest of these shares and I own them outright. They, I, I essentially got them for free. And, and, and I will say that frees you up. Now, in hindsight, I mean, Amazon's obviously done terrific. It's been, it's been a wonderful investment. Did I leave gains on the table? I don't know, actually, because that did give me the chance to take that money and allocate it into other ideas. Teladoc, for example, was one of them. I think that's done pretty well. So, again, it kind of goes back to making sure that that next idea is always going to be one that, that works out for you. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always something worth considering. I mean, everybody's, everybody's kind of got their own way of doing it. And, and that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about investing is there's just not a one-size-fits-all thing. But, but, yeah, I do like that. The, the, the raising money thing is a tricky one for a lot of folks, particularly younger investors. And we've seen a lot of gains in a short period of time here over the last several years with a lot of these companies. So, it's certainly understandable that folks might feel a little bit uncomfortable with some of those valuations. And if, 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 you know, if it's something that's causing you to, to lose sleep at night, I, I think it's a terrific option. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.